You know what time it is. It's time for the Dodcast. 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 Dennis the Menace. A friend of mine has an interesting job. She translates Wikipedia pages into Irish, focusing mainly on women who have positively impacted the world within the last hundred years. She asked me recently if there was anyone I would like to add to the list. I choose the lady I spoke to this week's podcast. Trish Scannon is a paediatric oncologist from Maryland. In 2006, she found herself in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, carrying out a needs assessment in one of the only cancer treatment facilities in the country as a part of her master's research project. What she saw firsthand during this trip would decide the trajectory of her life. Before arriving in the country, 9 out of 10 children who reached treatment facilities in Tanzania died. In addition to those that reached these facilities, represented less than 10% of the children with cancer in Tanzania. As a result, in overall terms, the cancer diagnosis was fatal for almost every child in the country. In 2007, Dr. Trish returned to change the narrative of children's cancer in Tanzania. While compassion and respect for the children were in high supply in the ward, the same could not be said for supply of drugs, consumables, adequate staffing numbers, services and subspecialist professional education for, edu- for everyone involved in their care. At the time, Dr. Trish was quoted by saying, it's hard to teach compassion, but when that's in abundance, it's a small task to raise enough money to cure dying children. Dr. Trish has revolutionized survival rates for pediatric cancer from 12 to 60% in Tanzania, a country of over 50 million people. She established the first children's cancer unit at Mubili National Hospital, refurbished a new paediatric oncology ward and maintained survival rates at 60% despite increased admissions to the unit. Survival rates for any childhood cancer in Ireland sit at around 85 to 95%. And as Dr. Trish says during this interview, there's absolutely no reason this can't be the case in Tanzania. Part of the reason it's not happening is because people don't believe it should happen and that's just not really good enough. In December 2012, Dr. Trish was diagnosed with breast cancer. She fought back tooth and nail, but it returned within the year. Now, the statistics of surviving cancer a second time around are slim to none. Luckily, for every child suffering from cancer in Tanzania, she was in the minority. Trish fought breast cancer twice and won, giving her the unique perspective and understanding of the doctor-patient relationship. Interestingly, she talks about the importance of lifestyle medicine and ensuring remission. In this week's podcast, we speak to a lady who has seen countless children agonizingly suffer, discussing the impact it has had on her physically and emotionally. We talk about the importance of showing emotion as a healthcare professional and why families appreciate it so much. We discuss the impact traditional healers have had on modern day medicine and a potential role they may play in the future in Tanzania. And finally, we try to comprehend the bravery and resilience of kids who just never know when to give up. Dr. Trish lives a very humble life in the suburbs of Dar es Salaam. She cycles 45 minutes to get to work each day. She works around the clock seven days a week. She is always one call away from a critically ill child. And she doesn't look for congratulations or thanks. All that she wants is for every child to have a life. Doing this podcast is not something she normally does, and I want to take this opportunity to thank her for speaking to me and allowing me to preview her extraordinary, inspiring story. This is episode 29, Seeing Medicine from Both Sides of the World. Dr. Trish Scannon. Welcome to the Dodcast. Thank you very much, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me in this, this lovely Friday evening. Uh, I'm sure you have plenty of other plans on instead of talking to, to, to little old me here. Oh yeah, my life is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you cycle, you said you do a 16 kilometer round journey to, to the hospital every day. 16.6 kilometers actually. And yes. this is, this is, you get your, obviously your steps in your miles and everything else with that, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, it's it's hard to fit exercise in and you kind of have to do it. So I put it into my day. Do you not sweat? 
No, I'm really lucky. I don't sweat. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the type of person that like I actually don't sweat that much apart from my face. So the one thing is like. It reminds me of when I was back in, in, in India and I would I'd be teaching away and really frantically like moving my head and like drips of sweat just dripping down my crooked nose that I have here. Literally aren't the kids like so. Whereas mine's different. I do sweat too, but I sweat as it, it looks like I'm crying when I'm sweating. Okay, so you're not crying right now then? No. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Long week? It was a long week. Yeah. It was a long week. Yeah. Long, busy, sometimes difficult. Okay. But um, yeah, also in many ways rewarding you know every, every week you kind of try your best and just have to you know you know do the do the tally at the end of the week and just hope that you've at least given everything you could for the kids do you know how do you separate work from from life ha huh. or do you <laughs> not really no my life is work but that doesn't mean that sounds very sad i know it does but um I mean, my work is very unusual in that it's all consuming. It's it's, yeah. it's sort of a passion and it's not one thing. So it's not it's not a drag for my life to be work in, in that <clears throat> I am a doctor and I look after children. I'm a beggar and probably 50% of my time I, I spend <laughs> begging for various things. It's not always money, but services and, you know, things. Yeah. I design things for the project. I, I keep up the web page. I have... What else have I done? I've written, you know, programs for education and I've just all sorts of, yeah. all sorts of amazing, and I meet amazing people. So I'm, the best thing about my job is that, well, no, the best thing about my job are the children. But one of the very good things about my job is that um, I meet people, the very best version of people. Okay. Because people come because they want to help. No matter who they are or what their day job or their normal life is, they come to help. So it's really a pleasure always to meet people. And, and kind of the cross people are usually parents who are upset yeah, or, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. worried or whatever. And they're totally entitled to be, you know, crazy. Yeah. And, so. and do you think there's ever a mask there that people are, you know, trying to project or perceive themselves to be, you know trustworthy or hopeful in terms of you know oh my god these poor cancer kids like you know we want to help them out maybe or do I don't you have care. to take everyone for face value sure yeah yeah absolutely the, I'm, I'm not judging anyone if anyone wants to come and help they're very welcome, they're very welcome. to help okay. very welcome anyone Trish normally what we do at the start of the show is we ask the person themselves to just describe themselves in a very very few brief words can you do that for us please I am an Irish pediatric oncologist who has lived in Tanzania for the last 12 years um, I have survived breast cancer twice and I think I'm in the clear now so that's kind of good so I have a lot in common with a lot of the children and I understand a lot more I've seen basically medicine from both sides which is kind of cool I think I'm uh, relatively fun to be around um, and I don't really like people who um, waste my time. time. <laughs> and we were, we were briefly speaking about that as I, as, I, as I arrived and I barged into your house about the, uh, I don't know if I, I should be speaking about this, but the, the poor intern, the resident, wasn't it, who was wasting your time. You had asked for just a simple solution, a saline or something, wasn't it? And it took about 15, 20 minutes for this. And I think what was most annoying up. about it was it's very unusual. Like we have a phenomenal <laughs> bunch of doctors and nurses on the ward, in the Penda ward. So it was unusual to find someone, someone who like this. kind of just gave commands to the nurses and expected they would do what I'd asked him yeah, to do. And yeah. I just don't like that. Yeah. I, I loved uh, Trish's uh, comments after this just to give him a bit of a, I don't want to call it a remedial job because it was an extremely important job, but it was a simple job to do. Trish, uh, after this, went, right, you, listen, you are the second most important person in this room. The patient is number one. Don't let this, this, this patient's sats, their oxygen saturation drop below 95 or you know exactly what's going to happen. I loved it. Straight away, his, just his whole demeanor and disposition changed. It put everything into perspective at that stage. But... Trish, it would, it would go amiss of me. You seem like quite a humble person. I suppose we have to be as Irish people. But before you arrived in Tanzania, nine out of ten children with cancer lost their lives. Survival rates uh, of those presenting with treatment had gone from 
around 90 around around 5 to 65% of the last uh, number of years and that's obviously a massive factor you've 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 brought that on you've driven this what 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 drives you so first of all the stats are a little bit misleading okay. because what was happening so when i arrived there was a there was there were treat there was treatment for one type of cancer called Burkitt's lymphoma and it had been available for 3 years and with very minimal training and just having the drugs, um, one doctor who still works with us and is a complete hero of mine, Dr. Jane, who you've met, mm. she moved survival for that condition, which is called Burkitt's lymphoma, from less than 10% to more than 70%. Single-handedly. Pretty much all on her own. I had nothing to do with that. When I came and I saw that, I realized that this was not, even though none of the other children had pretty much any chance of survival, like mm. 10%, maybe 5 10%. Yeah. But it wasn't because people didn't care, which is probably worse than not being, you know, not being smart enough or whatever, but people who don't care. These people care deeply about these children. You know, that was brought home to me uh, after I had been working here for a while and uh, we were on the ward and Jane saw this child who was about 12 yeah. and she said, Abdallah. Where have you been? You were supposed to come back six years ago. <laughs> and I was like, how do you, what? <laughs> so like she is, in fact, we've just, we've just created a database, like an electronic medical record yes. for pediatric oncology. And the kind of the pet name for the database is Janie, because before the database, the only oracle was, was Jane. Dr. Jane. Yeah. That's amazing. So she's amazing. So basically when I came, that was all in place. But what was not happening was any of the other treatments. Yeah. And when you, when you say what drives me, you already know the answer to that. Yeah. Like the answer is, I've worked in, and trained and lived pediatric oncology in Ireland, where children have an 85 to 90% chance of cure. And there's absolutely no reason why that can't happen here. There's no reason why that can't happen here. Part of the reason it's not happening currently is people don't believe that it it, it should happen here. For some reason, Africa... Why is that? Africa is the poor cousin of every other continent. And it's, it's you know, and they say this is, this is Africa, this is Tanzania. Absolutely not. This is 2019. Mm. And there is plenty of resources and plenty of answers for all the questions that we have around children's cancer, except in that last 10%, mm. which nobody, you know, people are working on, but nobody has maybe cracked just yet. But... um. Just going back to the statistics as well, just to explain why they're misleading, is in 2005, where we looked for the first time at the statistics for children's cancer, there was over 100 kids were coming in, new patients coming in to Dr. Jane and, and her three nurses. Um, and of those, the Burkitt kids were doing well, but none of the others were doing well. But, and the problem is that you're, you're basically... Um, basing your survival stats on hospital data rather than the number of kids that are in the country who have cancer. Okay, yeah. So if there's, let's say there was 120 new cases coming into Ocean Road and 70% of the Burkitts were surviving, but less than 10% of everybody else. That's still zero when mm. there was two and a half thousand children out there on average. That's still a zero survival yeah. on average. Today, we have gone from, say, 120 children to 720 children wow. and we've gone from a survival of like the average being about 15 percent of you take the burkets and then all the others to a survival of probably 60 65 percent we we have to look at that's the data amazing. again because it's been a while since we looked at it um but that's still 65 percent of 20 percent of the total that's come that, that that's in the country we still are not seeing 80% of kids. the children. Like we are still at 10% why, why survival. Well, part of the reason is because it's a vast country. It's a poor country. Um, the, the wealth is definitely consolidated in very small number of people's hands. Um, the government is trying to change that. Um, and the other part of it is that the vast majority of people live rurally here. And the vast majority of healthcare is urban. So, and probably Dar es Salaam is probably the, 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 the biggest, like most pathologists live in Dar es Salaam, whereas, you know, the people are scattered across the country. And so in order to impact that survival and, and get to more kids, we have to get out there, which is what we're yeah. trying to do, which is what we're working on.
So before coming to Tanzania, I had heard that traditional healing and 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 local uh, healers were, were the kind of the mainstay in a lot of rural areas. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that with seeing patients present so late to clinic. Are you for or against that? Or have you seen sometimes these traditional healers actually heal kids or parents or just generally your thoughts? So there are two different types of traditional healers here in Tanzania. There are traditional healers and there are witch doctors. Okay. So witch doctors are dangerous, unpleasant people. They have, you know, there's a lot of um, media coverage around the albino population that are at risk. They, they, they have this strange, um, I don't know what it is, uh, superstition that having a piece of a... Uh, an albino person is in somehow good so they chop them up it's really appalling Absolutely. the actual person yes and leave them alive but for dead take their arms take their legs it's really awful so witch doctors have witch doctors are terrifying and um, traditional healers are an entirely different group of people okay. they actually have their own professional body here um, and they are quite well organized and I have great time for them. Um, I don't necessarily always think that their treatments work. Mm. Um, but um, the if we talk about kind of modern medicine versus traditional yeah. healers, in a lot of the villages across this country, there is no modern medicine. There's no nurse. There's no even clinical officer. There's no kind of healthcare worker. Um, and yet there's always traditional healers. So they're there when the people need them. They also don't need to be paid in cash often. They will take a chicken. Okay. So, you know, they, they, they Do you are... take chickens? <laughs> I have never been offered a chicken, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, I, um, so I, I recognize that they play a role. They fill a void that we in the modern medicine world yes. have failed to fill. Um, and that's on us. Uh, and we need to do more about that. I also think, and it's something that has been brewing with me for a really long time. We had, we had one attempted meeting and it went fine, but we, you know, you can't do anything with one meeting. You have to follow it up and, 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 and work on it. Yeah. But we had one meeting to begin an idea which I had, which was that I think traditional healers are in the absolutely ideal place to learn about early warning signs of, for example, children's cancer, because they are the first people who people go to. Yeah. And they, if if they 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 are they are definitely out in the cold and are separate from modern medicine right now, which is part of the problem. It's not necessarily their fault that people don't value their opinion or don't trust their diagnosis, and um, because we have not engaged with them and we haven't looked to try and you know teach them things that would be useful for us are you suggesting that a partnership could actually occur between yeah. and then what would that look like i would i would love if they were at the beginning and the end of a patient's life so okay. that they would be there and they would pick up early warning signs and they would realize that so traditional medicine works for some of those things where 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 um oh what's it called um placebos work yes right so more they psychological work very well right chronic pain there's, there's lots of things where traditional healing can work because you believe that it's going to work it doesn't work for cancer absolutely okay. does not work for cancer yeah but what would be amazing because they're there at the very beginning of the illness yeah. if they knew that their voice would be heard if they referred a child to us and they could bypass the entire system and get the child to where they should go and in the other situation where we're a child, where we in our modern medicine world have failed to cure the child and the child is going home with palliative care. Yeah. At the moment, we regularly, because again, there's not enough staff and the country is vast, we regularly send the child home with a telephone number for one of us, a bottle of morphine um, and, and, and something to make sure that they don't get bunged up from, this, from, the, from the morphine. Really? That's it. And off they go on the bus with a dying child. What better way to look after them than to have a traditional healer calling in on them on a daily basis, understanding how to give them morphine, you know, bringing them into the fold, encouraging them to be part of the beginning and the end of these children's lives. How, for yourself, just for your own, for your own mental well-being, how do you let go of these kids that are with the bottle of morphine? Is it, 
I, and I'm sorry if that no. it's a, an upsetting question to even ask on a Friday evening like this, but no, it's a reality and it's a daily reality for, for us. Because remember, even if we cure, even if we cure sixty percent of the children, we we don't cure forty percent. So we yeah. we see children. I, I've probably seen more people, more children die than almost anyone on this planet. <laughs> so it's something that I've had to deal with and and, and rationalize, and I I have rationalized it, and it's not about becoming. It's not about becoming numb to the children. If you're that, you should get out. It's not about that. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> when I worked in Crumlin, one of my f- one of the things that I remember most fondly was there was a child. Um, she was a teenager, and she had um, she had a horrible muscle tumor. She had it in the palm of her hand, and by the time it was figured out what it was, it had metastasized, okay. so it was everywhere. And they. The, the doctors in Crumlin tried, like I was a junior at the time, and, and, and the consultants tried extremely hard to save her. Um, and as a consequence, she had horrible chemo and was in the hospital for a really long time, which is very unusual in, in Crumlin. The, the cancer kids spend most of the time at home, happy with their families, but this poor child was with us a lot. And it didn't work. And, but because she had been with us, really living with us for so long, that at the end of her life, on the day that she died, there were so many staff in her room just to be with her and visibly upset, like tears, crying, not, not sobbing uncontrollably, yeah, yeah, yeah. unprofessionally, but very emotional and upset that this child was dying. And afterwards, about six months later, um, the consultant got us together and read a letter to us. And it was a letter from the, from the parents. I think it was from the mom. And she said that she was still devastated and, you know, thank you for the work that you did. But she particularly wanted to thank the staff for showing emotion. Really? Because it made her wow. feel like her child was not just a patient, but she was loved in, in, in the ward. That's amazing. And, and that has stayed with me. So it's not when you're at work, it's not about not showing emotion. Appropriate emotion is, well, it's appropriate, right? So... So in, in terms of the children on the ward here, I've sort of compartmentalized the children into three groups. There's the group of children who come in and they very obviously have come in too late. There's barely a little child in there anymore. It's the child comes in and is 90% tumor. And it's, it's horrific. You don't engage personally with that child, but what you do is you feel a real anger that we haven't done more and haven't gotten out there to get these kids in earlier. And all we can do for that child is make sure that that child is in in the least amount of pain that they can be and and you don't prolong their suffering. It's not about prolonging their life at that point. It's it's shortening their suffering. That that's it's all about trying to, 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 to work on that. But the second thing you can do then is work harder work harder every month to get more kids in and the message out there that more kids come in earlier. That's what you do for that child. And that child doesn't, at this point in my career, doesn't actually take much personal emotion because you're, you don't engage with them as a person, unfortunately. That may sound you, really- You can't. Yeah, I mean, you may, you may, that may make, make, make me sound like a callous person, but the next group of children, so these are the groups of kids that die on our, on our watch. Um, the second group are the kids who come in and despite your best efforts, they die. They are your friends. You've gotten to know them. And our kids live with us because, again, the country is such a vast country. And you, like in the furthest corners of Tanzania to get to Dar es Salaam, you walk to the bus, you get the bus to the lake, you get a boat across the lake, you get a bus out of Tanzania into, into Kenya and then you get a bus down. And that can take four, five, six days on a good you know, on a, you know with, in the hell hole of your health. So do that with a small sick child or a big sick child, even worse, actually. <laughs> and it, 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 you can imagine how many people give up along the way and why we have to get out to more places. So those children, when they come into us and they live with us for the six, eight, 12 months of their treatment, when they may die on the ward during that time or they may relapse and die. And they break your heart because you love these kids and you've gotten to know them so well. And they're just, anyway, they're just delightful and it's very, very sad. But they don't keep you up at night. They break your heart, but you can sleep because you know you did all you could for that child. You may say, well, you know, the services here are not as good as they should be and therefore there's more that could be done. And that's true. And we need to work harder again in that group 
to, uh, to, to, to hopefully next year we have more facilities so that we can treat more children who currently aren't getting treatment. And then the, the final group are the children where you made a mistake. Yeah. And it may have been unavoidable. It may have been not really a mistake, but just something went wrong on the ward for that child. Um, you know, it may have been you couldn't get blood when the child needed blood because the blood, you know, the fridges were empty. Or, you know, the child was on the wrong antibiotics because our blood cultures aren't as strong as they should be. And there's, there's no real reason for this child to have died except just something went wrong. They are the children that you wake up in the night thinking about because they should be here. So, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not unemotional about these things. And I, I, would, I definitely would encourage anyone who, who got to the point where they could do this numbly to walk away from it and do something else. But for your for yourself, Trish, just for your own mental health, and when you do wake up during the night or multiple times during the night, is there mechanisms or techniques that you do that helps or assists you? I know, obviously, we talk about meditation, breathing. Is there anything specifically that helps for yourself? Yeah, we have group group meetings, and we talk about it openly. We talk about it if we made a mistake, because in a sense it honors the child because if it's highlighted and very very clearly underlined it won't happen again and we put things in place to prevent if if, if something has gone wrong we put in place uh, you know we, we debrief from anything that's yeah. happened good 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 things or bad things you know um to make sure that you know if you're transferring a child to intensive care the following day you sit down and you talk about it and you're like well what went well what didn't go well and in that way, and, and it's very, it's, it's, something, it's something funny here. Um, we have had situations where children have been overdosed with their chemo. It happens, it happens probably everywhere in the world that gives chemo um, at some point. Um, but when I started here, I was telling the parents if something did happen like that and their child was sick. And I was like, look, we're going to do all these extra measures to protect your child and, you know, try and nurse them through this illness. And we're very sorry. This is this is what happened. And the nurses and the doctors were like, Trish, we don't do that here. And I'm mm. like, we're going to start because it's very important. Transparency. People believe you when you tell them that you've made a mistake and they and they understand. I mean, even if it's like an appalling, like critical mistake for their child, what they don't understand is you hiding it or lying about it because then they can never trust you again at least they know we will tell them if something has gone wrong that shouldn't have happened mm. and i think that's it's a very scary thing for a doctor to do or you know anyone in the medical world is to admit when something has mm. gone wrong to the family but in my experience with my heart in my mouth going and speaking to families about things that have gone wrong um i'm not saying there's a lot of things that have gone wrong over the years yeah. but they've happened no, from time to time um universally the response has been okay we understand what are we going to do now okay universally you know and maybe a little bit of, like one was you know i just want people to say sorry yeah you know do that you was do you apologize of course yeah Yeah. And I also try and take responsibility as, you know, a leader on the ward. You know, I I, I definitely, you know, uh, you know, if if it's if it's safe, for example. So there's a big team like we have surgeons involved and we have radiologists and we have pathologists and stuff. And the 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 issue may have been on our ward or maybe in one of them, but we never go point the finger at the, the, the department that did it. It's we as a service have not achieved what we should have done for your child. And, and in that way, it's not about apportioning blame. It's about highlighting the problem and fixing it. I understand. Are you a religious person? No. Spiritual? Depends on what that means. Do you, do you practice any tradition, traditional um, uh, religion whatsoever? No, I was brought up Catholic okay. and I was very Catholic in my views um, up until... I, and I don't even know why... I don't know what it was that changed me. But I can certainly say, because I was in my 20s still going to mass in my early 20s, but, and I don't know when it changed, but now as a pediatric oncologist in Africa, <laughs> watching so many children suffer and die, I, I, I hope there isn't a God. Okay. Okay. Because if there, if there was... He's an asshole. Yeah. Right. I shouldn't probably say that. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, 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 I, I, I love the honesty and the transparency. We've already spoken about that. It's a lovely segue into it. Um, 
it's just interesting coming to it for myself coming to a country like Tanzania and seeing the I've never been to a place where there's been just such a wide variety of religions of all denominations of all faiths of all and I am unfortunately <laughs> my mother will kill me for saying this but I'm not the, the best mass goer I, I used to uh, like yourself I tried to get down as, 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 as when I can um, if I'm asking for something um, but uh I remember going and, and buying just a, a bottle of water, a bit some magic, uh, in the local in the local shop, and it was a Sunday, and uh, kind of the, the the lady behind the counter or the till was asking me, she's like, you know, what's, uh, what, you know, what religion are you? And I was like, oh, I'm Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic. She's like, okay, okay, and you know, there's mass on right now across the road. The, why aren't you there? I, was, I, I I had never been kind of questioned about you know not being you know not pra- practicing oh, it's my, a big my question here. it's a huge question. It's one of my favorite things about Tanzania. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about them. I, I have, there's a lot of things that I, that I love about Tanzanian people. But their, their deep, deep, deep faith in God. Massive. But they really don't care what religion you are. They could teach the world about religious tolerance. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Brothers and sisters yeah. are different religions. I know. I live with the people who are, who are completely different religions. Yeah. And, and, and if the world came here and learned how to be religious, like Tanzanians are religious, then I might not mind so much about religion. Yeah. <laughs> when, I came to here, when I came here first, I, it was on my mind. Like I heard 50% were Christian, 50% were Muslim. All of them had, you know, if they're from the villages, had their own village religions as well, which were all separate and different as well. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, how is this going to play out on the ward? Is there a Muslim side to the ward and a Christian side to the ward? I mean, it's just the most delightful place on earth. Like, the, the, the Catholic priest will come in and Muhammad will queue up with Peter and, and Simon and get his rosary beads. <laughs> and then the imam will come in and then Peter and Simon will, will be queuing up behind Muhammad to get whatever the imam gives them. Like, they Brilliant. love God. They have the deepest, strongest faith in God. But God is God, and the religions are kind of like the clothes they put on on a day. Okay, okay. I'm not saying they're not like deeply Catholic. No, no, or I understand. Christian or deeply, whatever. But they, 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 they love each other, and they don't care. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is is which gorgeous. Which is as it should, be. it should be. As it should it's be. Nonsense. Exactly. The rest of it. Um, self care or self help is is a, is a big kind of buzzword that that's kind of drifting around at the moment. Um, for someone like yourself who who deeply as i can see there deeply cares about the children and your job and, and every facet of, of how you live do, do you ever think maybe sometimes you, you 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 don't look after yourself and you put everyone else ahead of other people no i look after myself all the time <laughs> what are you talking about i i know you, you know exactly where this this is kind of going because you yourself were in intensive care less than two months ago i know but that was I don't want. I don't want any. I don't want any. No, it was this. It was that. I. I really want the the honesty that you were giving me in the last uh, um, uh, conversation with your own health, and I think it's something that needs to be kind of highlighted and outlined here for a lot of doctors, young doctors listening to this in particular. Is that I think it's very important, you know, for ourselves to maintain our own health to be able to then maintain the health of someone else. It's true. As, as I heard a quote, I think it was the Dalai Lama is supposed to have said this, and it's something like, if we, can't take care, if we can't take care of the people who take care of people, we can't take care of people, which I think is a fantastic quote. Um, you're right. I'm rubbish at looking after myself. <laughs> I, like, so so uh, in 2012, December 2012, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And before that, I would regularly eat a packet of biscuits for my dinner and didn't get enough sleep definitely drank too much here there's there's an expat world here that's all about like red wine and whiskey yeah and it's hard when you socialize with those people i was one of those i am one of those people i'm not trying to separate myself from these lovely people that that i do hang out with sometimes um you, you drink a lot um I didn't eat well, I didn't exercise that much, I didn't sleep enough because I, I basically did a one and one which means I was on call all day and all night for the ward for about, well what was that, 2012 and I got here in 2007, so whatever the maths is there. Five like four years. or five years, yeah. So for five years I did a one and one in the hospital and I was in very regularly at night. Oh so my God. all of those things 
are, are probably the reason that I got breast cancer, <laughs> if you put it all together. Um, luckily, well, luckily on many levels, amazing people in Ireland who look after me, uh, the doctors and the nurses and everybody who took care of me, um, and my family, an unbelievable, like, you know, because I live here and um, it was so wonderful to be able to just go home and slot back into my like bedroom that hadn't changed since I was 12 and Gorgeous. you know my mom and dad just doing an amazing job just caring for me which must have been really hard for them and my brother who's a physio my my younger brother's a physio who basically um put a lot of effort into well mainly the second time around the first time around I just did everything normally I I I had like I, it was my 40th birthday on the last day of my chemo the first time around perfect timing perfect timing and we had a party <laughs> and I had champagne and was out till like midnight um having had like you know decent enough chemo that day um <laughs> and a year later um the cancer came less than a year later actually it was like about nine months later the cancer was back and at that point my brother kind of shook my younger brother I have an older brother as well who's also has been fantastic uh, just kind of being worried about me basically um, and kind of scolding me but my younger brother um he took me in hand basically and he started me thinking about nutrition and started and has made me read books on sleep and exercise and you know all these things that i should have known probably somewhere in my subconscious did know yeah <laughs> but started really thinking about it so i in that sense i have tried to look after myself somewhat you know i'm vegan now um i try not to drink i um the reserve in that it's doing yeah, you yeah i know i know, I, know. <laughs> I only drink red wine now if that counts <laughs> not that much um i exercise as we've yeah. talked about and i really try and sleep this th this fantastic book called why we sleep yes Everyone matthew walker it. oh my god it's terrifying <laughs> so i have to keep reading it to remind myself that i'm like, do you get eight hours I, no Six? i get like yeah something Okay. Who knows? But I try and get more than I used to. Within that year, Trish, did, did you do? Did you take some lifestyle changes to kind of rectify the habits, the yeah. bad habits? You did. That was what it was all about. No, but within that first year, no, nothing. Did nothing. 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 Not a thing. I mean, I just it just for a, a lady like yourself who we've just spoken for the last whatever half an hour or so. Uh, if 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 you took a step outside your body and started speaking to yourself as a doctor to patient, you kill yourself you'd murder yourself you say what are you doing to yourself trish what what are you doing I, I, like it, it just baffles me for the type of individual that you are that it, it kind of the penny drops so late i didn't have time <laughs> we already discussed that there's no such thing as time in, in 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 tanzania well that's the thing that i found time with with my with my relapse i found time oh, you had to i had to well it was either that or like you know curtains yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not. I'm not trying to say. So I'm not like a, you know. I, I'm a big believer in modern medicine. I'm not saying that the chemo and the radiation and the surgery the second time round are not the reason that I'm sitting here. They absolutely are. Mm. But the reason that it hasn't come back a third time, I do believe, has something to do with lifestyle. Because I think okay. that's the bit. You know, we we talk about um, healthcare, but and then this is not my quote this is i don't know where i read it but i think it's really really powerful modern medicine's not about healthcare; it's about sick care Healthcare is all about self-care and mm -hmm. you know sleep and exercise and diet and all those good things that certainly i didn't learn about in, in college i i hope you're learning about in college i, I hope, hope so too a, i hope it's a major part of what you guys are learning because yeah your diet that you, if you expose yourself to some kind of food stuff for every day of your life that has to impact your body it has yeah. to yeah so. i actually did a mod module the the module was so it was a student selected component and it was the title was of, of it was um uh, self-care self-help for medical students and it was taken by uh, miss Eunice minford um uh, one of the the general surgeons up in the antrim hospital um, and essentially sort of what you said, just in terms of lifestyle factors of getting yourself in the sort of right frame of mind to be able to, as, as the Dalai Lama said, help other people. Yeah. And the other thing, I guess, is I stopped saying no to things. So right. 
there's um you mean stop saying stop saying yes you mean no i mean stop saying no so i never had time to do things so there's there's a, there's a beautiful sail race now i'm not a sailor in fact i'm invited <laughs> because i make good tea and I, i i don't go sailing very often and and i'm also not very competitive when it comes to sailing so if we're bobbing up and down on the indian ocean because there's no wind and they're all stressed which sail will we use i'm like Uh, <laughs> so I kind of lightened, lightened the mood, but I didn't ever do that race. Okay. It's, it's a three day, four day race. And I never had time because, you know, I couldn't be away from the ward and having then have, and the, the good thing about having to step back from the ward because I might have died, um, <laughs> was, that was really positive because if I, if I decided, you know what, I just need a break, you know, I'm tired. People might not have you know, understood that. And they might have been like, well, sod her. If she's not going to do it, then why would we? But when I left, both times, but the first time was so heartwarming. When I left, nothing changed. People kept coming in every day, did two rounds every day, came in on Saturdays, came in on Sundays. That hadn't been the case before, you know, back 12 years ago, that wasn't the case. Mm. They were rounding once a week. And no one came in on Saturday and Sunday. And when I left... Every child was looked after in just the same manner. And I have to say that that was, that for me felt that in some ways, even if it didn't work out for me, yes. that that was not going to be such a disaster because the seeds were sown. There were really good professionals, really dedicated, motivated, you know, compassionate people on the ward looking after these children. And that was one of the best things to come out of being sick. <laughs> That's a very, very nice way to spin it. And no, I, I, I really do appreciate that. In fairness, uh, the seeds were sown, and I've, I've, I've visited the ward. I can see it. It's a, it's a tightly run ship. Um, and congratulations to yourself and Jane for doing a fantastic job with that. And everyone, like yeah, and everyone else as well, of course. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm definitely kind of the loudest person on the ward. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, people say, oh, you know, Doctor Trisha's or whatever, but it's not like. And, and, and in the next few years, my hope is that I can step back more and more and more, yeah. still be there and still supporting, but much more not going to, not going to meetings, not going to conferences, do, letting the Tanzanians just speak for themselves. That's, that's, that'll be the biggest progress that I can do in the next few years. Trish, in a, in a, in a parallel universe, in another world, uh, this is 1997, the year 1997. We're in a time capsule now. We've just gone back and you've just graduated from UCD, which you're a fantastic degree in medicine. And um, life is dandy. You're, you've just got a post in, let's just say Vincent's or somewhere. Like, give, me, give me, no, you, you, you were in, in the matter, excuse me. Do you suffer from FOMO is the question I have from you. Is there, is there a stage when you're looking back thinking, oh God, will my life maybe panned out in that way or in that direction? No. Um, so I think you have, to, you have to recognize in your life that you can't do everything, right? I'm 46, I'm not going to have kids. And I love children. I spend like large chunks All of my time, day yeah. Yeah, with children. Um, and is there a small part of me that would be like, God, I wonder what they'd be like if I had, if I'd had kids and yeah, maybe there is. Do I want children? Dear God, no. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> But yeah. And like the other thing is, yes. I mean, you know, like if I was in Ireland, my life would definitely probably be easier, but it wouldn't be more interesting or fulfilling. I mean, I loved working in Crumlin. I loved it, loved it, loved mm. it, loved it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved the kids. I loved the families. I loved the fact, in a really egocentric way, I loved the fact that there, and it's, it's across the board with everybody who works in oncology, there are certain kids in certain families that just love you. Yeah. And, and there are certain kids in certain families that just love someone else. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's plenty of kids and families to go around. But that feeling of walking on the ward and the family just going, oh, she's here. Yeah. Like I loved that. Yeah. So I would be, I, you know, I, when, when you talk about, like we, this is not something we've talked about, but when you talk about people who are depressed or, you know, who whatever, I, I really feel that we're so, people like, like me, for example, I was born with a head full of happy chemicals. I'm going to be happy no matter what. It's nothing to do with me really, I don't think. It's just, I am so fortunate that my head is made in a happy way. Do you know what I mean? 
I, I, I wish I wish I, I did because you know I'd like to think that I was constantly happy and, and always smiling but there is stages where I get down as well so. no 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 I'm not saying that there aren't times when I like shout and roar and cry yeah. and are, I'm upset I mean in is that those, not positivity then but those mo- emotions are in, in are appropriate to the context okay. what I'm saying is there are people people who properly have depression it's not depression because someone has died right it's okay, not, excuse me i get you yeah do you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's depression that is out of their control and i'm never going to have that because of just the makeup of my head do you know what i mean so in the same way if, if i had done something different it would still have been fun that's that's i love that that's a fantastic answer i absolutely love that i i'd like to think that i'm made up with those positive chemicals and endorphins in my head and i we again we briefly spoke about it on the way on that you know nature nurture are you kind of is it ingrained in you to to you know be more um have more of a chance of getting something like depression anxiety and, and suffering from these types of things and you're obviously saying that, that yes that that it can be kind of ingrained into your sort no, of genetic I'm no makeup. expert so we, yeah. we i probably shouldn't be expounding on this topic but i just feel well particularly maybe around you know i i, I this certainly the second time when the cancer came back so quickly the second time five years ago Mm. Um, I was sure I was dying and after getting over after getting over the kind of initial oh my god and and tears floods of tears and like you know terrors and whatever at the beginning um it's amazing what your mind will just settle into you know it, it turns out and I've learned I, I I've learned a whole lot of things having had cancer and one of them is that bad news is worse than no news it's one of the things I say a lot now you know and it's something that I didn't know and I should have known you know your brain can't cope very well with no news because is it good oh no it's not oh it will and, and that's exhausting whereas bad news at least you have a reality that you can now face and you can come to terms with because your brain comes to terms with it like in a couple of days or certainly mine did maybe not a couple of days maybe it took a couple of weeks um it would be it would go completely remiss of me if we didn't briefly speak about tlm house and the the home uh, for the children there, it's on the actual hospital grounds. It's a, I've visited any any day, which I mean, it, it's not frequent that I'm having a bad day in in Tanzania. All I need to do is just visit that that joyful joyful place. Um, it's what I say. If I'm having a bad day, it's because I haven't spent enough time with the children. Oh, it's it's honestly puts everything into perspective. Which is an unbelievable thing to say because these children are poor. And these children don't even have their health. And yet they give you so, so much. much joy. They're amazing. They absolutely are. And they, you know, they teach you. That's the whole thing. Like teach you about resilience, teach you about like, like when I got chemo in the morning, like I, I had the children as my role models because yeah. like literally you'd have, you'd have like a, a five-year-old who'd have chemo in the morning and then you'd find him outside that afternoon goading all of them goading each other to drink glasses of dirt <laughs> i'm joking i'm not even joking that's what and i just be like well we'll know when you get an infection why you did <laughs> whereas i'd have the chemo and like curl up for yeah, three yeah, days yeah, yeah. yeah just just curl up and not want to speak to anyone for three days and all the time i'd be like god those kids are brave and they're strong and look at me like what, what, what is that about kids? They, they, they just, they, they're just amazing. And they don't know that they're supposed to be sick. You know, we all, yeah. it's the whole sick role Six Sick mentality, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not judging anyone else, I'm judging myself. You know, and I, it was so funny, like, so there's, um, <laughs> there's a thing called anticipatory nausea. It's basically 10% of adults who get chemotherapy get anticipatory nausea, which is the night before they're due into the hospital to get their chemo, they start feeling nauseous. And when I started getting chemo, I was just like, I am far too strong mentally. Every single time. Stop. Every single time. Getting just, sick or? No, just very nauseous. And nausea is worse than getting sick. And very um, would you take anything for that? I didn't, but no. you could. There are things you can take. Speaking about uh, taking things, I, I, and we've, we've spoken about it before, the... Um, Chemotherapeutic agents are a massive revenue for, for the pharmaceutical uh, industry. Um, we're, we already spoke about lifestyle factors. Kind of within that sort of bubble in the middle between those two is, 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 is the pharma side of things. Um, to ask you point blank, is pharma evil? 
Is pharma evil? Well, I think big pharma is evil. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a story of a child, which so, so we're in negotiations with a large pharmaceutical company, a generics company that is trying to make good quality generic drugs available to our ward at very reasonable costs. Those people aren't evil. Okay. Um, uh, there was so we have a child in our service who's at home. Her mother rings me about every three months, and just I barely can answer the phone because I'm so embarrassed and ashamed for this family. She has a little girl who has a tumor that has compressed her spine, her her cord, the cord in her spine, so much that I don't know why the child doesn't have symptoms. But she doesn't have symptoms. But she has a big tumor sticking out the back of her neck. And I've asked, I asked multiple surgeons if there's any chance that they could remove it. And they said, no, it's, it, it's not even that malignant. It's one of these kind of intermediate things. Yeah. And I know there's no chemo that can shrink it. So I had kind of resigned myself that there was no treatment for her. And then I was at a conference and there was like a day about um, neurological tumors. And I just went along to this study day. And a man from Sick Kids in Toronto stood up and he talked about a group of rare tumors and he had six or 10 children in the study. So a teeny tiny study. And a new drug that they were testing on these children, it was a tablet. And every single child responded and the tumors disappeared. Wow. It's the same tumor that this child had. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, I cannot believe I stumbled upon you. I need to get some of those tablets. And he was like, I'll help you get in contact with the pharma company. I tried and tried and tried. And their response was, We've done the best we can. We can't help you. And my response to them was, I literally do not understand your mentality. You have a drug that can save a little girl's life. Why did you make this drug if not to use it? Exactly. But that is not why they made the drug. They don't care if the, if the drug works or not. All they care about is if the drug makes them money or not. They're honestly, those people are evil. They don't even know they're evil. That's what's so funny. Where, where, like, I mean, for such a kind of a, a humanistic cause, where, why did such sheer dehumanization happen within the pharmaceutical industry? I know that. I guess because they're too big. You see, they're too big, so it's no. They just, they no, just don't care. If it, it's, if it's on person to person, it's very much harder to say no. But when it's so big, then they can Tasteless. say, they can say, oh, but what if she has side effects? I'm like, come yeah, on, come on, it's a tablet. Yeah. We're in Africa. So anyway, yeah. it's not, you can't say big pharma is evil. Yes, you probably can in America. Um, but there's big pharma who have reached out to us and want to help us. And so if they help us, no, they're not evil. Okay, okay. Um, this has been absolutely delightful. And unfortunately, we're, 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 we're kind of coming up to the hour, Mark. Um, but there is a thing that we do in the show. It's called Niche Questions, just four or five, just very, very kind of specific questions that I have for you. Um, you can give as much or as little as you like. Uh, the first one is, is, do you think modern day medicine is going in the right direction? It's a very broad question. It's a very broad question. You can go any avenue with uh -huh. that. So I think one of the things that I don't have to deal with here is um, the push to give more and more and more and more treatment when it's not working. Okay. And I don't think just because we can do stuff we should do it and although of course we fall short here because there's things that we should be able to do that we can't and um, we never over treat a child when we still could i mean we still could over treat children here but we don't and i think we shouldn't lose sight of that in any country no matter how resource rich the country is you know it's one of the things that one of my mentors finn brannock who set up pediatric oncology in ireland I think he did an amazing job. Um, he did an amazing job setting it up. And one of the things, and I'm, I may be paraphrasing him, and he may not 100% agree with this, but one of the things I think he was most proud of was the fact that, you know, he obviously got the survival rate up to like 80, 85%. But not only that, the children who died almost always died at home and didn't die on a ventilator in ICU. You have failed a cancer child if they die on a ventilator in ICU. And if you look at the American system, 
that's where those children die. Really? Yeah. Now, maybe that's, you know, too general as well. Maybe there's wonderful centers that make sure that children die at home in, in America, but there is a trend. There's definitely yeah. a trend. So, you know, I don't know if I'm... If you're talking about the the uh, designer drugs... No, I know. And, you, you can go anyway with that. No, mm. that's, that's fair enough. Your, your, your favorite failure, Trish? And I know you probably say, well, there's been too many, and they all are in the shape no, of No, I, th- I think of, if you kids. put all the failures together, you see, that's the point. What, 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 what for, for people who are just starting out to understand is when you fail, it's, it, it's, it's like this battle and war thing. So you've, you've lost this battle. You've learned something. You know what doesn't work. Yeah. So you just regroup and start again. So failure, you have to realize you have to fail. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Right. And so the, when I when I tell my story, I often it often sounds like it was this like smooth road. <laughs> like I could tell you all the things that happened that went wrong that didn't work. You know, and, and that's the story of pediatric oncology. If you, if you go back, if you, if you have you read The Emperor of All Maladies? I haven't. You have to read that book. It to. is a fantastic. It's, it's, it's like almost like written like a murder mystery, but it's the story of cancer and its evolution through time. And it's wonderful. And he talks about the early failures that led to the eureka moments. And, and that's the thing. Don't be afraid to fail, is what I would say. Okay. Okay. Um, what, I suppose it's a nice, again, a nice segue on to the next question, is what book has impacted you the most within your life? First one that pops to your head. I know, <laughs> we, were, we were chatting there very briefly. She, she has a nice little kind of sort of, I say a book <laughs> oh, collection. No, no, I don't even like any of those books. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, books. Oh, my God. I mean, well, I'll tell you about a book that I'm recently reading. I, I mean, there's so many. So I, I've, I've read two books recently. One we talked about, which is Why We Sleep. Yeah. I have to reread it all the time to remind myself to sleep because it's terrifying if you don't. And the other one is I've just finished an absolutely gorgeous book, which is called The Secret Life of Trees. Okay. And it's delightful. It's absolutely <laughs> delightful. I went on I went on safari over Easter, which is where I got malaria and nearly died. But before I got malaria and nearly <laughs> died, yeah, I was there for like four days. And of course I was. I did love the animals. But because I was reading this book, I was fascinated by the trees. They talk to each other. They, they nurture each other. Like if one of them's struggling, the other sends sugar through their roots to them. Oh, this is, a, this is an actual thing. This is a real thing. They, no way. They talk to each other and decide whether they're going to fruit this year or not. Some of some of the varieties that don't fruit every year, they either all fruit or That's they don't. That's amazing. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a book that everyone should read. Wait, so you were just literally just looking at these trees. Delightful books. <laughs> these massive lions and tigers directly yeah, beside you. and I was just like, oh my God, look, all of these trees have been damaged <laughs> by, the, by the elephant. Look, every single one. How are they still standing? And they were all like, uh, the elephants are over here, Trish. <laughs> and it was, it's just one of those books that, you know, it makes you... It makes me sound like, what's that woman called? Gwyneth Paltrow, like I'm like a complete flake. But like, <laughs> but like, it just gives you a perspective just because their lives are on such a longer level yeah, yeah, than yeah, us yeah. and they talk to each other in a completely different way than we talk to each other. I'm just, I just love that that... Possibly even more intelligent organism than us. <laughs> okay, okay. We're gone too. All right, Dennis, chill out there, bro. Okay, okay. Um, last question. Um... Have you any regrets in life? Uh, I mean, there's lots of things that yeah. like, I've learned to do differently. But no, I'm sitting here with you now because of every step I've taken up to now. And like, this has been lots of fun. So <laughs> not really. I mean, yeah, I mean, I could say certain things, but no, I love my life. I love what I'm doing. I love, I love all the people around me. I have such good friends and an amazing, as I say, amazing family. Um, and I, like it was today when I was when I was just about to get on my bike to cycle home, and the kids just were doing some funny things, and I just sort of played with them for for a few minutes, and I was just like, yeah, th- this is a good place to be. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, for anyone who's listened to this 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 episode, uh, where can they maybe support or help? Um, what fantastic work yourself and Jane and the, the rest of the brilliant team are doing. Um, where would you recommend for us to to to, to? So we uh, we are on social media and we have a, a we have a, our own a website which is www.wertlm.org. TLM stands for Tumaini Lamaisha in Tanzania. That's the Swahili, and in English it's Their Lives Matter. So wertlm.org, and people can just 
if people are interested in volunteering, we have we have school, we have play, we have music, we have art, we have uh, yoga. Amazing. We have for t for teachers, for for doctors and nurses. If anybody wanted to volunteer, they'd be very welcome to join. And obviously, if anybody in the big pharma industry was interested in being involved, that'd be cool too. And yeah, if anyone wants to donate, the the details are on the website. Dr. Trish Scannon, thank you so so much. My pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, this was the dog guest, folks. Thank you. <laughs>